Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used or just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. Uh, today, my guest is Jason Cassidy president of CryptoConsultant.com. Jason, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Richard. Uh, thank you for asking. And I'm excited to be uh, on the show here. I've been looking forward to it, actually. Oh, good. Good. Yeah. We try to treat our guests well and not be mean to them and ask them impossible questions. You know, the whole goal is to <laughs> get people to listen to you and, and uh, if they want to engage and, you know, help you with your business and become a customer, that's, that's the thing that makes me happiest. So, yeah, if you want can you just, yeah. Just, just give a brief intro. What do you guys do at uh, Crypto Consultant? If it wasn't obvious from the name. Sure, I'd love to. So Crypto Consultant uh, is Canada's first Bitcoin uh, consulting company. And it was formed in early 2013, not too long after I got into the industry in uh, 2012. And when it started, it was primarily focusing on Bitcoin because back in 2013, the narrative was essentially Bitcoin, Bitcoin, Bitcoin. There was very little consciousness for blockchain. Uh, so we went with the flow, and over the next couple of years, we adapted to how the industry was maturing, seeing that there was a little bit more than just Bitcoin, and Bitcoin could be construed as kind of the first app on blockchain technology. So we pivoted as an organization, as a consultancy, and we've done very well. And since then, we've expanded to focus on something called blockchain restructuring, where we will come in and either help uh, a network or a digital currency launch, so something like an ICO. Or we actually make them into a network that's already existing and has already launched, but is kind of spinning their tires. And that could be for any number of technical reasons, uh, from a business perspective, lack of transparency experience. And it's proven to be very successful. Uh, we have a lot of exposure now with the explosion of interest in the industry with ICOs becoming a very hot topic. And mm -hmm. it's been a very positive experience. Yeah, let's talk about that. because that's, It's rare that you find anyone that uh, knows how to shepherd an ICO you know, through the process. So what's involved? I'm betting it's a lot more complicated than most people think. Like, you know, what do you have to do to uh, go through the whole ICO process? You're right. There is a lot more than meets the eye there. Uh, one of the areas that we find uh, a lot of startups might drop the ball on is just the structuring of the ICO. And that can come down to something as simple as how many units of your digital currency or token are you creating and what percentage of that allotment is going to be going to uh, ICO investors relative to the founders of the project and being realistic, having an open, honest conversation about what kind of costs you're going to encounter as a new network trying to breach out into mainstream adoption or perhaps looking at that enterprise uh, sector. And those are different approaches which take much different mindset getting enough transparency on your team so that investors have trust because you're asking for a lot of trust up front. Uh, with the hope of delivering something of value in the future on your network. So getting that narrative established and understanding who your target uh, audience is, wanting to know, yes, you're, you want to go ahead and raise some money with an ICO to uh, get your network capitalized. But once that's happened, other than the investors that you're looking to uh, have a good relationship with, what about the target audience that you're going to have those services on your network running? Who are those people? And are you looking at that before the ICO or are you waiting until you've already launched to have those conversations. We always want to make sure that those conversations are happening well before an ICO is even considered. Okay. Um, how much do you see 
the average ICO raises, you know, ballpark. And are they raising enough? Too much? Too little? It's a good question. It's it's difficult to uh, answer because depending on the ambitions of what that blockchain and what that digital currency is trying to do, uh, the cost can scale greatly. I would say to give a ballpark of what a lot of networks are trying to ICO right now between five and ten million US dollars uh, equivalent in uh, the token value of Bitcoin or Ether, which are the two most popular um, funding methods for ICOs. That's kind of the ballpark that a lot of these networks are looking to uh, to raise value in. Now, is it enough or is it too much or is it kind of Goldilocks where it's you know, right in the middle and just right? That really comes down to the sector. Uh, some areas are starting to get a lot of competition. So the remittance market with blockchain, the energy sector is starting to all of a sudden have a lot of uh, people introducing ICOs or uh, offerings. And that was pretty much untouched. Uh, for a while, you're seeing entertainment starting to get into the sector of healthcare identity have always been big areas. So it really depends, Richard, on where they're trying to uh, break into that market, whether there's some incumbents there already, or they're really, they're putting their stake in the ground as the first person to try and do that on a blockchain. Yeah. If a company is going to do ICO, it, it kind of seems like Kickstarter. And then they would go for uh, rounds of traditional funding, you know, series A, et cetera. Is that true? Is that what they actually do? And is the ICO act is just, literally the initial funding mechanism and, and how much, you know, when I ask you how much money, what's the goal to carry them for a year or to get a certain project to a certain stage, minimum viable product, like, you know, anyway, complicated question. Go ahead. It's a complicated question, but it's a good question. And if you're going to be an ICO investor, that's the kind of question you want to be comfortable asking uh, that network, but ideally the network. So the, the team behind that network that's going to launch They've already addressed that question up front, and that's some kind of level of transparency that they're giving as a justification. So usually there'll be a roadmap. And this is another area where young startups that are in that embryonic pre-ICO stage tend to really drop the ball. You can get easily caught up in the money that's being made in ICOs right now because it's it's kind of comparable to the dot-com bubble in some ways where there's something new from a technological means that's encapsulating finance. And it's got a captive audience right now. So one of the things we do at the consultancy is, you know, we separate that. That's an important part, raising money, but justifying why you're going to raise that money and having an honest conversation about what your costs are going to be. So usually if you're going to ICO and you do a really good job, you're going to have a roadmap that should take you at least three years out. And it has to, the difference is that anyone can put a roadmap together, but you have to have a realistic roadmap. And again, this comes from experience and some emotional maturity when you're dealing with uh, other people's money and perhaps millions of dollars of other people's money. Yeah. And what, what do you think? Um, I mean, my, my gut is that ICOs are going to be regulated. There's no way they can't be because they're dealing, like you said, with people's money, investors, um, you know, in the U S ICO, IPO, literally it's one letter away. I know regulators are working on it. What do you think is going to happen in the space in terms of regulation? And will a lot of, uh, companies that already have gone ICO, will it, will regulators reach back and whack them if they didn't do something right? And how do you navigate? Another good question. I can give a little bit of insight into this, or at least my opinion. Uh, I'm lucky enough that I work with uh, the Ontario government through the Ontario Securities Commission. Uh, I'm an advisor on their first every uh, FinTech Advisory Committee. And the goal there is to kind of merge both worlds with the regulators on one side 
and some of the early uh, builders of systems in the uh, blockchain and cryptocurrency space on the other side. And it's kind of like a knowledge sharing session where we actually try to make progress with where can regulations, sensible regulations come into the industry. And of course, of course, ICOs are the hottest topic going. Uh, my opinion is that you're right. The, the writing is on the wall. There's going to be some level of regulation coming to ICOs. This will not continue in perpetuity the way it is. Um, you're going to see that happening in the space because innovations will come up and the regulators are always going to be playing catch up. That's just the nature of uh, technology and how fast innovations are happening. So these relationships between the regulators uh, and the people in the blockchain space, that's a very important relationship going forward. I think there's going to be regulation coming. Now, whether that they make that something that they go back with and perhaps uh, come down a little bit hard on previous uh, entities that did ICO and kind of got through that window before the regulators came in with the uh, legal framework. I don't know. I think that's going to be very much a jurisdictional thing. Uh, I do believe that the U.S. still has a lot of influence um, in terms of uh, regulation, uh, the SEC. And I believe that how they end up treating some things down there will have a, a domino effect on some of how the other regulators look at this. Yeah. How, what's, so what's the... Um... How do regulators perceive the ICO initiatives in Canada? Do they like it? Are they frightened by it? Do they are they rubbing their hands in the light, wanting to regulate it? What what are you seeing? It's a novel design from their um, perspective, so they appreciate that it's new, that it gives the investor uh, a different level of freedom, perhaps, uh, and and certainly whoever's offering it uh, a lot more flexibility because you're going like this Kickstarter, you're going directly to those investors. Uh, again, the flip side of that is, yes, you are kind of bypassing some of those checks and balances and red tape, but some of that is in there for a reason to protect investors. So where do you find a happy medium? Uh, the Canadian regulators are very pragmatic. It's actually been a joy to work with them because Canada seems to be taking a very proactive approach. I'll be in Ottawa next week uh, through the Blockchain Association of Canada. I'm the vice chairman there, and we do a lot of work with the government because the government is very embracing. Of the technology, they're not going to go ahead and just start adopting something that they haven't done their due diligence with. Governments tend to move a little bit slower, uh, but they've been very open to having conversations and letting us go in there and have a sandbox to play with. So I would say that Canada is one of the more forward-thinking countries in terms of how the regulations are looked at, and with the ICO specifically, I think they've got an open mind to it. They know they're a little bit they cringe sometimes because of the possibilities, and there have been some negative uh, instances with ICOs, but overall. They're very open-minded. That's excellent. That's good to hear. It's great to hear. Yeah. Um, is there a um, a scorecard <clears throat> that you guys have where you know an ICO comes to you and as part of your consulting, you say, "Here's what regulation appears to be, or where is where it's going." You know, there's 12 items. Taxation. Here it is. Um, you know, other issues. Here they are. Do you have again like uh, benchmarks and scorecards against which you score your ICO initiatives? And is there any of that available to the public so they can figure out if an ICO is good, bad, or ugly? So that's the transparency to the public, which is that's who really needs it here. Uh, that's coming. Uh, internally, as a consultancy, we have our own system of uh, identifying, you know, okay, so you've got an ICO offering, but what does that mean once we actually start to put that into reality? How many are you tripping over your own shoes here before you even get off the starting line? because you're going into a lot of uh, gray areas. 
uh, from a jurisdictional perspective and a regulation perspective. Uh, that is, there's, if you've been paying attention as an investor in the space in the last six months, there's a lot more uh, ICO uh, platforms that are helping launch, like Token Market, and then there's a whole other subculture of ICO analysis, um, ICO news, like ICO watchdog type of initiatives, because there's probably enough money now in the industry to justify these other subcultures popping up to support that. Uh, I'm a big fan of this. There's more, the more knowledge and education, the better. I'm an educator at heart. That's kind of how I got into the industry just because I like to uh, learn and then share that knowledge. And this is something that as a consultancy, we've been talking about because it's valuable information to us internally to help identify, but it's the public that's usually putting their hard-earned money uh, towards this. Definitely. Any, um, any tips for the public uh, on how they can figure out if uh, an ICO is worthwhile investing in? I know I'm not asking you for advice, but I'm just asking you, are there any guidelines that you'd say to the average person that's looking into various ICOs? What, what's, you know, warning signs or positive things to look for? There's a couple telltale signs, and this is something that, you know, it's a great question. You know, even if you didn't ask, I probably would have brought it up. Uh, so transparency, uh, number one, uh, looking at the team. So the technology is important, and, you know, we'll get to that in a second. The team, the people behind what's making that network work that you're actually trusting, uh, that they're going to be good custodians of that wealth while it's being put towards hopefully good uses, that means a ton. It's extremely valuable, and it's the one area where a lot of people will look over that uh, if there's enough promises, if there's enough bells and whistles uh, and jingles going off in the background, that can sometimes cloud the judgment of who's really captaining this ship and steering it. Uh, so. I want to be able to know everyone on the team. If the team is small, that's fine. If the team's bigger, that might be better. I want to know their backgrounds. I want to do some due diligence. What did they do in the past? This is a very new industry. Almost everyone coming into it came from somewhere else. Oftentimes when ICOs don't go well or the network doesn't do well after the ICO, it's almost universally the case that if you do enough due diligence, you can tie that back to the players that are involved in actually running the network. So that's number one, who is on the team and how much transparency are they giving me? Number two is the technology itself. Now, some people are going to hear this and say, well, come on, Jay, that's a no brainer. It is and it isn't. Taking a look at the white paper, making sure that it makes sense to you. If you're an ICO investor and you really don't understand the white paper, that's, that could be a big issue. Going on the advice of somebody else, that's, you know, if that's all you have, that's fine, but you really want to understand what they're promising or what they're um, postulating they're going to be able to build because anyone can throw together a white paper and it happens every day. Whether that holds up to snuff when you're actually doing some due diligence against it is a whole other area. And we find that a lot of uh, investors in uh, cryptocurrency, whether it's an ICO or just investing post-launch, they do not take a look at the technology at a deep level. They'll hear some buzzwords like paradigm shift, innovation, blockchain services, decentralize this or that, uh, and their ears get perked up. And as soon as they attach it to an industry like the music industry, uh, manufacturing, entertainment, dating, with something like Match Pool, whatever the case, if, there's, if they don't have another uh, deeper basis of education to go off of, again, this is how you get into trouble. So I would say the two biggest things, yeah, they may be obvious, but understanding why they're important is the team and the technology. And then usually that goes back to the white paper and the roadmap. If those two things don't make sense, as an investor myself, 
I'm happy to sit on the sidelines and watch how that plays out. And maybe I'll just educate myself on something I missed or something that I did well. Um, how do I know that a company is working with a consultant firm like you? Because I would feel a lot better if they were. They weren't just, you know, wildly going out there and just throwing stuff up online. One thing I can tell you is that because this industry from an ICO perspective is maturing, uh, usually forward-thinking companies will find a budget to bring in some talent. Now, often you'll see that from an advisory board perspective, and that's good, Richard. What's even better, if there's uh, the funds and the wherewithal, is to go ahead and leverage 10, 15, 20, maybe even 30 years of combined experience that you can go ahead and vet, you can take a look at. These people have been in the industry for five, six years. Here's their um, timeline of what they did and how successful it was. It's hard to put a dollar value on that in a world that's about money. This market's about money, literally creating money. It's difficult to put a dollar value on that expertise, but a lot of startups with ICOs, we're getting a lot of traction. We know some other consultancies are also getting a lot of uh, interest they'll make sure they advertise that up front. And that will actually be, you know, for lack of a better term, quote unquote, a selling feature, maybe to give more confidence into the ICO because of when leveraged the knowledge of people that are very public and have been doing a lot of good things for quite a while in an industry that's only been around really from a commercial standpoint since about 2012, 2013. Okay, understood. Can we, can we go back to the question of <clears throat> what are the stages of the ICO process? Maybe in brief, quick, and then we'll uh, delve perhaps into one or two of them, you know, for more details. You know, let's say the seven seven things that happen. You know, what are they, and and what's the timeline of an average ICO? You'll see often ICOs will start to go ahead to the public about three months before the window opens. Uh, so making sure that you're not <laughs> waiting too late, so you don't want to leave yourself thirty days, uh, ninety days, hundred days is becoming a nice kind of middle ground with how much time you want to let the market understand about what you're going to do and prepare. Uh, and then you also want to make sure that when those 90 days are up, you don't want to be ICOing during a time period when most people are away from their computers or they're not checking their smartphones. So uh, over here uh, in the Western part of the world, that means ideally you're not ICOing in June or July if there's a way around it, because it's just a fact most people are away doing something else other than technology, more so than any other time in the year. Uh, you want to make sure that your ICO is structured properly. So taking a look at how many units uh, of our token are we creating and what is the disbursement of that? How much money are we trying to raise uh, and how do we justify it? Then you want to look at how am I going to launch my ICO? Um, what platform am I going to use? Am I going to go my own way uh, and make sure that I put a heck of a lot of transparency into that for investors or, or am I going to leverage the benefits of an established um, platform that's done many, 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 many ICOs. Um, the, the building of the team around the ICO. Uh, so if that's just a small group, everyone on that team is going to have to be responsible for helping that ICO get off the ground, whether that's in the marketing, the uh, structuring of the technical aspects of the ICO. Uh, sometimes you'll see uh, small startups, they'll build their ICO distribution into their white paper if they're going to kind of merge those two worlds. I'm not a fan of that, but you'll see that. So making sure that your documentation uh, is done well. Then you have to move on to marketing and advertising of the ICO. It's, no one's going to hear about it unless it's being promoted properly. So making sure that you're speaking to all the media outlets, uh, that you're getting the proper amount of social media exposure. Uh, if you have the ability 
to go to video and do something a little bit more personal. It always connects better. It will always connect better. Um, but of course, it costs a little bit more, bit more money. And some startups, they're trying to get the ICO complete because they're lacking funds. So sometimes it's a little bit much of a stretch to pull those funds out before the ICO happens. I mean, how sure much marketing needs to be done, in your opinion, to you know, so an ICO doesn't fall flat? You need to do a lot. And you need to build a community before you ICO. So some networks don't understand this, that uh, the community building starts right away. Uh, you don't want to make a lot of promises coming out the gate, but there's no harm in announcing what you're going to be doing and starting to build a community around a solid idea. Uh, I find a lot of networks will kind of wait until the ICO is complete, and then they'll focus on community building. Well, your community does a lot of the word of mouth advertising that those uh, advertising dollars won't have to do if you do it properly. And this, this goes down to some simple stuff like the Bitcoin talk forum, which it's still very relevant. A lot of ICO investors are already holding cryptocurrency. They're not going to be taking net new um, like US dollars or in my case, Canadian dollars and buying Ether or Bitcoin. They may, but they're likely the people you're targeting already are holding cryptocurrency. So you want to get that message out to the, those grassroots movements. And the Bitcoin talk farm is still a very popular place. That will change in time, but making sure that you actually get a community, like get a Slack channel then. Find a way that you can let these people uh, collaborate because as the ICO gets closer to launch or as you get closer to your pre-sale, they will act for you as almost pre-network participants because they're financially incentivized to and good news travels fast. So that's a very important aspect that you don't want to overlook with your marketing and media budget for your ICO. Build a community when you're building up that marketing and advertising. Don't wait to build a community until after the network's launched. You're shooting yourself in the foot. Okay. Um, once a company goes ICO and it, it happens and the tokens are sold and all that, you know, how do you avoid problems then? Do you stick with these companies so there's not a dramatic pump and dump? Is that unavoidable? And you know, what? How do companies fall flat after the ICO has happened? There's there's only so much you can control in a free market, quote unquote free market. Uh, the best way that you can avoid this uh, stigma and having events take place in your network that make it look like you're going to earn that stigma is by having real utility. And I've always been a big fan of under-promising and over-delivering. Uh, sometimes it's difficult for a network to adopt that kind of cultural mindset uh, because it's all about promising first and then delivering later. Uh, if you can keep your, what you're trying to do, to be, you have to be very realistic. You have to be humble to an extent and you have to be very transparent. Uh, having market makers from the financial side of that question, uh, that does help. Uh, having a lot of different distribution models. So actually talking to exchanges, I'll give you an example. Um, Poloniex, um, Bitrex are two very popular ones over here in the West. Uh, they will potentially adopt uh, a cryptocurrency early on where you might see a Kraken take a long time and do a lot of due diligence before they'll add a cryptocurrency. So you're looking at years after that currency has been launched. So talk to those exchange operators, build a relationship up before your ICO happens, get on the radar and get plans in place that when your token launches, you've got on-ramps and off-ramps. If you do that and there's a certain amount of, if you build the right community, uh, you get the right marketing and advertising and you actually have transparency. You have your, the founders of the pro project talking to the community, talking to the press, and talking about a real product, not just offering hopes and dreams about something that probably won't happen. You've got a real business model, a real plan. 
you're going to see a little bit of um, pumping and dumping, so to speak. But a lot of people will be holding that token. They're another said another way, their ownership of that network because you built in value up front. That, that's the best way you can avoid something like that happening. Yeah, I see from some companies is like no communication for a long time. They go quiet, which I think is probably death to a company. And then some are real active and they're always updating and their Slack channels, they talk to you and they communicate a lot. So, you know, what do I know? But to me, it sounds like uh, the ones that are communicative and open and keep engaging with their community all the way and never stop are the ones that are going to do best and have the least problems. You got it. That's well said. I, I can't even add anything to that. That's perfectly said. I agree. Do you, do you see the, um, you know, these companies that are up and coming, are they, do you feel like they're being treated unfairly? Uh, you know, like Ethereum has gone through a lot of problems, but they've prevailed. So I really like them because of that. But in the meantime, they were like trolled to death and, you know, people said horrible things, and, but yet they're okay. They're, they're coming out on top. Do you, do you feel like uh, companies in this market are, are in for a rough ride emotionally and they have to uh, really bolster their psychology so that they don't uh, give up in dismay or crumble? That's an interesting point, and it's, uh, it's salient. I would have to say that with Ethereum's case, uh, being the second largest network by market cap and, and being in that top, let's say, uh, five position for quite a while, Ethereum has been uh, in the hearts and minds of investors as a top blockchain for a long time now. Um, Vitalik's done a, a very good job with a lot of leadership and support uh, weathering that storm, as you, as you mentioned. Uh, there's probably a lot of emotions and there was a lot of uh, flack that Ethereum took because it was the second biggest network or maybe it was the third at the time. But when you've got that much wealth and you have all the emotional investment, and of course there's some political aspects because now companies are building uh, applications on the Ethereum blockchain. So now a decision that's made from the top can affect them. And so, yes, I would say that they did a very good job. Uh, I'm a much bigger fan of what Ethereum is doing because of how they've handled that challenge. And uh, I would say how how they've risen above it. Uh, That was a moment in time where, you know, it could have went either way. I really believe that that could have went either way. And, you know, you mentioned, you know, they took a lot. You and I lived through that back then. I wouldn't have faulted you, Richard, if you said, I don't know if they're going to make it. No, I would agree with you. Remember back then, it was pretty bad. Yeah. Well, the crazy thing back then was uh, not long ago, you know, two years or less. So it's just weird. Things happen so fast. I talk to people in the space that have been in it for three years and they call themselves grandfathers, you know, or four years. And in other industries, they'd, they'd be like, come on, you know, that's ridiculous. It's nothing. So this industry moves so fast. Everything's yeah, accelerated. Everything, everything's intensified, you know? Yeah, and it's 24-7. So, you know, we we like to get at seven to eight hours of uh, sleep a day. Well, every time we do that, you wake up and there's seven or eight hours of a lot of stuff that just happens somewhere in the world with all these networks on a 24-hour, 24, uh, 24 seven-a-day basis. So it's, oh. yeah, you, you age quickly <laughs> from an experience standpoint in the industry. You're right. Yeah. Oh. All right, well, just a couple of last questions. This has been a great talk, a lot of great information. Um, who is a great customer for you guys? What kind of company, what kind of projects, you know, what are you guys looking for that you'd like to take on as a consulting gig versus ones that you're like, eh, maybe you should go down the street and talk to someone else? Right now, that's a, uh, a process of evolution for us because of all the interest and all the different ICOs that are happening. A lot of them this is a trend that we're just noticing the last six months too, Richard. A lot of them are being pragmatic 
even if they have experience in the crypto space, they probably have enough uh, wherewithal if the budget's there to go ahead and bring on some advice, whether that's from an advisory board perspective and or bringing in a consulting firm. We tend to be very picky about who we take on because it, you know, it scales the gamut of well-structured teams to teams that it feels like they kind of just thrown together in uh, their parents' garage a week ago and they've just got an idea on paper. And you're going to see that uh, kind of delta in offerings when you're still in a, in a very early um, market. We like to see teams that have a lot of energy, that are open-minded, um, that know what they don't know. And I'll repeat that. Teams that know what they don't know. That's a certain level of humility. Um, that makes working together and sharing information, us learning from them, them learning from us, that process becomes seamless. It actually becomes fun. And there, it's no longer work. It's, you know, we're working with our partner. Those are the best relationships. Of course, you want to see good technology. Of course, you want to see some experience on the team and a nice culture. Uh, those kind of aspects are what we're looking for. As I said, I put the team before the technology when I mentioned what ICO investors what I want them to focus on. Both are important, but this is a consistent theme. We always look at who is actually making up that network right now. Where's the leadership coming from? The decision making? Is there maturity there? Is there, is there respect? Is there good energy? Um, hustle? All these things come into play. Okay, very good. Last question. Are you able to comment on some of your favorites that you think, you know, you could personally love them or you think that they're really going to do well? Any, um, you know, recent ventures? You probably can't comment if they're in ICO right now, but you know, can you can you name any names? I will throw out a couple uh, blockchains slash cryptocurrencies that I think uh, have a lot of value. Uh, it, you, we're going through a bull run, so a lot of these have started to get attention that probably have been waiting for a while. Uh, so first off, I'm going to say that you know there's a little bit of bias here with this. Uh, I've worked with Emercoin before uh, as their CCO, and I am an advisor there. I decided that I wanted to help them because of how much innovation they have with blockchain services. Um, they're the first blockchain to take SSL and SSH and put it onto a blockchain. There's a, they're so blockchain rich with services that are actually functional. They're functional services. Um, the United Nations is involved with them because they see value. Uh, I think that that's a blockchain to watch out for in the future. And again, remember, I've worked them before, so I see a lot of things um, that haven't come out yet. And I'm also a bit biased, but definitely Emercoin is something to watch out for. Uh, Decreed. I'm a fan of how Decreed has evolved. Uh, it's getting attention now as it deserves. Um, I'm a fan of Byteball. Uh, the way that the distribution model is put together, uh, a very small team, but a very interesting novel approach to alternative to blockchains uh, or the concept of what a blockchain is. Uh, even though Monero was no longer cheaper, <laughs> it was around a dollar US for a long, long time. Uh, I'm a big fan of uh, how that network has evolved. Uh, I do think there's going to be a captive audience for uh, anonymity. You see Zcash. This is the theme that's not going to go away. And I'm a big fan of how that was structured. I was uh, looking at that network a long time ago, even when Taco Time was working on it. So if you're a fan of Monero, then you know what I mean when I say that. We're going back quite a ways. Uh, I'm very bullish on the future of Monero. Uh, and the only other one I'm going to be able to throw up there is, and again, I've got my bias hat on. I've been working for a year and a half on a blockchain network and a digital currency called Helium. Uh, it is similar to Dash. 
however it takes it. The concept of a master nodes and it builds a whole service node network on top of it where we're really going to be redefining what blockchain as a service is. And of course, uh, Helium is not out yet. It'll, it'll be uh, coming out this September. Uh, but that's something that I've been putting 1.5 years of my life into. Uh, and I feel it's got a, quite uh, the opportunity to do some good in the world. Okay. Well, very good. Uh, lots more questions, but uh, you know, I don't want to question you to death. And I appreciate it, you coming. Um, what's the best way for interested companies? And perhaps individuals with ideas to uh, to approach you guys and talk about possible consult- consultancy. If you've got an idea, if you are interested in working with somebody that's been in the industry for quite a while, and we've got a wonderful team, James Gonzalez is my business partner. Uh, remember that name if you hear it. Uh, he's doing a lot of big things for all the right reasons. Uh, James and I are getting a lot of interested parties coming through with ideas contact us, uh, cryptoconsultant.com. Uh, you can get a hold of me at jason at cryptoconsultant.com. Uh, I'm very active on social media, uh, predominantly Facebook. So I'm an open book. Send me a message, introduce yourself. Let's get a conversation started. The best thing you can do is start a conversation. Who knows where it's going to lead? But as soon as you open a door, you now have opportunity to walk through it. That's true. Jason, I want to thank you. It's been a great interview. Very interesting. And I appreciate you doing it. It, it, the pleasure is all mine. This has been, uh, again, it, you're right. It has been a great interview. I'm looking forward uh, to working with you guys again in the future. Great platform you have here. Thank you. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post to review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.